So today's uh, scripture reading comes from two places in the Bible, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. I'll read Isaiah first. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to uh, us a son is given. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now turn with me to Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they lived in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Amen. Thank you, Brother Martin. Um, all right, for those um, who weren't here last week, uh, Pastor David started a new sermon series as we enter into the season of Advent, and we're focusing on the names of Christ uh, that are prophesied in the book of Isaiah that we just read uh, last week. Uh, if you haven't listened to that one, it was about Jesus as our wonderful counselor, and uh, Pastor David is going to be continuing his sermon series today. I believe it's going to be about being a mighty God. Amen. Um, so let's give him a warm welcome as he comes to preach and deliver the word of God. Come on. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> um, let's pray before we, before we get started today. Father God, uh, we thank you. Um, we thank you that the gospel is good news, uh, that the gospel is a message of grace uh, in light of our sin. And so we ask that you'd help us to really get a hold of that as we come before your word, as we humble ourselves before your word. Um, I just ask that you'd speak to us. I ask that you'd help us to, to hear you, um, yeah, even in those personal ways in which your word might be applicable to our lives. I pray that you'd help us by your spirit to do just that. 
Um, and I pray that you'd be glorified in our midst today. Um, so in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. So like DJ said, we're in um, an Advent preaching series. Uh, this is a time period in the four Sundays before Christmas Day. It's a time in, wi- in which we intentionally live in this waiting period before Christ is born. Uh, and this season, we're doing that by looking at the four names given to Christ in Isaiah 9. Um, so just to recap, Isaiah 9 is written 800 years before the birth of Christ. It's a time of despair and darkness and gloom because the people of Israel have turned their back on God. And God says to them, discipline is coming. It's going to come in the form of this superpower called Assyria, and they're going to cut you down. That's what he says. But that's not the end of the story. The Lord says in chapter 5 and 6 of Isaiah, For I will yet preserve my people, and the tree cut down will be a stump with life still in it. And this life is described in chapter 7 as coming from a virgin, right, who will bear a son named Emmanuel, which means God with us. And now as we come to chapter 9, we learn who this child is. He's given four names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I have a question. Uh, who here can solve a Rubik's Cube? Yeah, probably the, the most talented uh, one among us is downstairs. <laughs> um, it's pretty tough. I, like, like I said, I, I know some of our children can solve one. A couple of weeks ago, I was fiddling around with a Rubik's Cube uh, at um, one of their homes. And for about 20 minutes, the best I could do was solve one side. I'm sure you've been there, right? Solve just one side, make it all yellow or blue or whatever. Um, and I gave up. It was so uh, dissatisfying, though, right? Just one side because it was incomplete. So I gave it to Jeremy, and you know he's a, he's a whiz, so he solved it in front of me like in like a minute. You know, fingers flying. Um, and just seeing all sides of that cube come together, that was incredibly satisfying because it was complete. And, you know, part of maturing as a Christian is understanding that God shows himself uh, in Scripture a little facet here, a little facet here, a little facet there. And, and some of us, just because of our inclinations uh, and perhaps because of the season that we're in, we're in, we have an understanding of God as maybe just this one side, one facet. Right, God is my comforter. But there's not much of, uh, you know, God is my king. But there are many attributes. Uh, that's what Jonathan Edwards called uh, the diverse excellencies of God that make him who he is. So when you're suffering and you're enduring trials, you need to know that Jesus is the wonderful counselor. And we talked about that last week, right? He's the one who teaches us how to actually navigate life. Now life is so complex. Life has so many ups and downs, so many problems and issues that we face every day. And Jesus actually speaks to us through his word. He shows us how to live by the way that he lived his own life. And he's a source of wisdom, wonderful counselor. But he's, he's also a counselor in the sense that he understands us, like he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. There's a gentleness and a kindness there. And when you're suffering and you're enduring trials, you need to know God as a wonderful counselor. But if you have someone who just feels your pain but can't do anything about it, 
there's something not quite right about that. You know, someone who just says, I feel you, that must be really tough. But I can't really do anything about it. Um, something's missing there. And you see, Jesus is the wonderful counselor, but we also need to know that he is the mighty God. We need to know him as a warrior, right? as a conquering king who fights for us and nothing can stand against him. Mighty God is the second name given to this child. And today we're going to see what that means for us in this Advent season. Um, that's what we're doing. We're just meditating on these names. There's not another opportunity to try and do something more amongst the myriad of things that we have to do in this season uh, as part of preparing for Christmas. Uh, now's the time to, to just remember who he is. He's mighty God. What does that mean for us? We're going to look at uh, what that means for us by going to the book of Exodus, chapter 6. And we're here because the situation in Exodus, it's quite similar to the situation in Isaiah. Uh, it's about a thousand years before Isaiah. But it's also a dark time, a time of despair. Uh, God's people, they're in slavery uh, to the Egyptians. And God sent a messenger, a guy named Moses, to encourage his people uh, with the news that God will deliver them. And to tell Pharaoh, release my people, release the Israelites from slavery. And so Moses, he goes and he does that. But then Pharaoh stubbornly refuses, kind of laughs in his face. And the people are upset now because... Now things are probably going to get worse for them, right? He's just rubbed Pharaoh the wrong way. So the people are in hopelessness and despair. Moses is in despair. That's where we are in chapter, uh, chapter 6. And in the midst of this, God says to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to your ancestors as God Almighty, right? the mighty God. And this is not going to fail. Go and tell the Israelites that. And that's what's being echoed again in Isaiah, this name, Mighty God, God Almighty. It's what's being echoed to us today. Uh, this was their fundamental need. They needed to know that God was the Mighty God. It's our fundamental need. Right, you and I need to know that God is powerful, that He's mighty. He's not casual. You and I need to know in the, the, the midst of seasons of life that we go through, that God will not let us down. When we really know how mighty God is, we will be changed because no one comes away from an encounter with this God unaffected. So I want to look at who this mighty God is in Exodus 6. And then I'll end with how we see this mighty God presented to us, exemplified in this child who's going to be born on Christmas Day. So number one, the mighty God of an unstoppable plan, right? The mighty God of an unstoppable plan. So God says four things to Moses in this chapter. He says, let me tell you what I've done for you and your people. Number one, I appeared to them. Number, one, uh, number two, I established a covenant. Number three, I've heard their cries. Number four, I've remembered this covenant. So I've appeared, I've established, I've heard, and I ha I've remembered. And then in verse 3, he says something really interesting. Uh, he says, I appeared to your fathers. I knew them. I was their God. So he's looking backwards into the past. But then there's this line that comes next that is really strange. It 
kind of throws you off if you read it. It says, I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to him. And the question is, how is it that God appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He even established a covenant with them. Like, I'll be your God. You'll become my people. It's a relationship based on promises. Yet here in verse 3, it says they didn't know the name of the Lord. How does that make sense? Well, it's a bit like this. Um, you know, when I was starting out in pastoral ministry, um, I, I'll feel really uncomfortable when people would call me pastor, right? Just, uh, just call me Dave. Like, don't call me pastor Dave. Um, and it's because no matter how much uh, I would put that pastor hat on, right? Go out and I meet up with people. I interact with people. And I have this desire to, like, I want to ask good questions. I want to pray for people. Um, I felt like people might know me as Pastor Dave, but there were a lot of deficiencies that I had. And perhaps they didn't really experience me as Pastor Dave. So I didn't want people to call me that. Um, And here's the thing. It's one thing to have a name or a title. It's and for people to actually know you by that name. But it's another thing for that name to be fully realized by the people around you, right? Um, at our retreat a couple of weeks ago, um, I, I experienced perhaps something that was maybe the most encouraging thing I've ever experienced in, in my time uh, in ministry. Uh, many of you guys were there. It was a time when you guys faced me and just affirmed me as, you know, pastor. Pastor Dave, uh, you know, you're, you're our pastor. Uh, y- you have no idea what that meant for me. And I'm so grateful that many of you have been patient with me as I've needed to grow into that name. You know, I, I had, and I still do have a lot of deficiencies, and I'm growing into that. Uh, but it was a time of in- incredible encouragement uh, when my sense was that name was starting to be realized um, by you guys. And maybe you have that in your own life, right? Um, as a doctor in, in, you know, in hospital, or as a teacher, perhaps, uh, a designer, uh, or maybe even as a parent, right? You feel like you need to grow into that. Uh, it's a name and uh, that, that people know you by, but the, f- the, the full identi- identity of it needs to be uh, revealed. But God is not like that, right? He doesn't need to grow up into anything. He doesn't need to grow up in any way. The people had known him as God Almighty. Uh, The Hebrew phrase that might be familiar to some of you is El Shaddai. It means the all-powerful one. They knew God as this almighty, strong, and sovereign Lord. So they knew that title. But what they did not know as fully was that this almighty God was their redeemer. was the one who said, I'm personally going to come and rescue you. I'm going to save you. And so, so it, it, it's not enough to just know that God is mighty, that he's powerful. Uh, you have to know that this mighty God is your redeemer. Your redeemer. God is not helpless. He's not too busy for your life. He's not too small. He's not indifferent. He's not surprised by your suffering. He's not rolling his eyes when you're struggling in sin. 
God says that he sees and he hears the plight of his people. And he says, even when my own people don't fully know that, it doesn't change who I am. I appear to your fathers. I establish my covenant. I've heard your cries. I've remembered my promises. I have an unstoppable sovereign plan. That's what he's saying. And so that's the first thing that I just want to put before you guys. Do you know that God has a plan? Like really, do you know that God has a sovereign, unstoppable plan? It's a plan that's not able to be shifted or shaken by the suffering that you might go through, by the doubts that you might have, by the sin that you might be wrestling with. Because he has heard us. He has established his covenant. He's remembered his promises. He has an unstoppable plan. He has a plan for this world, right, to to redeem all things one day under the kingship of Jesus. He has a plan for our city to, to save people who don't know him. He has a plan for our church, to use our church to do that, to mature us for his glory so that people might see, like, how do you guys have that kind of joy? How do you guys have that kind of hope in the future? He has a plan for you, right? He has a plan for your future. Irrespective of opposition from the world, opposition from your own flesh, or opposition from the devil, he has a plan to redeem you from sin, to sanctify you, and to make you more like Jesus. God is mighty because he has a sovereign, unstoppable plan. Secondly, he's mighty because his promises are unbroken. He keeps his promises. So with Moses, God, he looks to the past and he says, let me tell you four things that I've already done. I've got this unstoppable sovereign plan. Uh, Here with Israel, as he sends Moses back to the people, he says, okay, now look to the future. And I want to tell you seven things that I'm going to do. Seven promises that will be unbreakable. And he does that through seven I will statements. I'm just going to go through them quickly. Number one, I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. Number two, I will deliver you from slavery. Number three, I will redeem you. Number four, I will take you to be my people. Number five, I will be your God. Number six, I will bring you into the land finally, I will give that land to you. So God goes from addressing Moses here to Israel. And I think this is so wonderful. It's such a beautiful picture of how God keeps his promises because it shows us that when he promises us things, the trajectory of where we're headed uh, in scripture, it's not just for us as individuals, right? But it's for a community. And so even if you feel lonely, and you feel a bit disconnected from you know, this community, a- even if we might have tendencies to self-isolate, he's actually working out a plan and he's going to fulfill his promises within a spiritual community of people known as a church. And God gives his people these amazing promises in definitive terms. It's not maybe, it's not conditional, like if you do this, it's I will, I will, I will repeatedly. And you think that 
it's just so encouraging that you know, Israel would receive this message with gladness and it would reassure them. But if you look at verse 9, it says something else. It says, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. I spent a long time thinking about this verse. Because it means that Israel didn't listen to these promises, not because they were unbelievers, not because they didn't have enough faith, not because they were rebellious and stiff-necked, even though that's what they would become. It says they did not listen to the promises of God because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. That's why. And as I was reading this, it was such um, kind of like a light shining upon my own soul. And I hope you guys can relate. And I really believe that this is the main reason we find it so hard to be moved by the mightiness of God. The main reason why we forget how mighty God is. You know, you become beaten down. You become resigned to a condition maybe that's been around your life for a long time. Maybe it's relational. You know, Lord, why am I in this state? I don't want things to be like this with this other person. I'm not asking for a bad thing. I'm asking you to do something about it. No, it's not changing. Or maybe you've been unwell. Maybe you've been sick. It could be physical. It could be mental. And maybe nobody even sees the trouble that it takes, uh, that it gives you to, to just get out of bed each morning, get through the day. You're so tired. And you keep praying these prayers, like, Lord, why, why isn't this getting any better? Or maybe you have a temptation that's just been there or all these years, right? You keep looking at that website and you're just thinking, why doesn't the Lord just remove that temptation from my life? And this is where we land. We're not moved by the mightiness of God. We forget that God is mighty. We come to God is not big. And my problems, my struggles are actually bigger. God won't come through. God has let me down. Uh, there's a pastor in the 1800s. His name is Joseph Parker. Um, you know, I love reading about these kind of old dead pastors uh, because, man, they just so inspirational <laughs> to me personally. Uh, this guy was inspirational because he had no intention of ever preaching a sermon, um, but he felt called to ministry at the age of 22. Um, he wasn't especially gifted or talented, but uh, he just answered the call, and he started pastoring a church in London called City Temple. He would preach these soul-stirring sermons. The church started to grow under his leadership, and then at the peak of things going really well, his wife died very suddenly. And he said up until that point, he had like he had you know, wrestled with suffering and, and doubts, but he hadn't really ever struggled deeply with doubting God. But when his wife died, this is what he wrote. He said, in that dark hour, I almost became an atheist. God had put his foot upon my prayers and he treated my petitions with contempt. If I'd seen a dog in such agony as my own, 
I would have pitied and helped the dumb beast. Yet God spat upon me and cast me out as an offense. It's pretty raw. It's very honest. This is a man who experienced something so big. You know, death is you know, terrible when we experienced it. It kind of overshadows everything else. I think it's so it's so understandable when it makes it feel like, you know, God, you're you're not very big. You're, you're not you're not mighty. You're really powerful. And his wife just suddenly died out of the blue. And he was on the verge of not only leaving ministry behind, but but he was on the verge of leaving God behind. But as he began to look at Jesus in the gospel, he saw a God who had this plan that was sovereign and unstoppable and whose promises were unbroken. When he saw, when he looked deeply into the gospel and he saw this Jesus, he saw that in the face of the worst evil that has ever happened in human history. And an innocent person, a completely innocent person, a sinless person who had come to save people was arrested and defeated and broken and killed on the cross by those very people. The injustice of that, the the evil behind that. And even in the midst of that, God works to bring about forgiveness and redemption of sinners, reconciliation. He brings enemies to become children into his kingdom. So as Joseph Parker was looking at this plan unfolding the gospel. You know, he went one step further and he saw that God not only did this by sending his son to die for his enemies and then forgive them, but he actually raises Christ from the dead. And this is the thing that spoke to, to his situation, right? His, his wife just died and he saw that, he remembered that God rose Christ from the dead to show that God's power, his might, is over death itself. And when he saw that, he started to slowly emerge from his grief. And uh, he began to testify these wonderful words. Um, I think it's such a great and honest lamentation, but also a, a cry of the heart that we, can, that we can say to God. He said, I've touched the bottom and it is sound. I've touched the bottom and it is sound. Brothers and sisters, this is our confidence in Christ. God has an unstoppable, sovereign plan for the world, for our church, and for you. It's not dependent on the suffering and the injustices that we see in the world, it's not dependent on, you know, whether you're s- living a sinless life or not. <laughs> it's not dependent on us. It's sovereign. It comes from Him. You only have to look at the gospel to see that God's plan is unstoppable. 
think for us it's to just, like I said, to make us more like Jesus and to one day redeem all things under his mighty kingship. And so I want you to be confident in his promises. Right? No matter how far we fall, uh, when we touch the bottom, even if it's the most painful, irreversible kind of bottom that you think you could experience, even if it's death, the death of a loved one, even if it's your own death, um, we will find that the bottom is sound. Every I will of God's promises ends up as an I did of gospel deliverance in Christ. Friends, Jesus has not forgotten who you are in this Advent season. We're prone to forget who he is, but he has not forgotten who you are. He's mighty. He's sovereign. He's powerful. And he loves you. How awesome is that? How wonderful is that? It's too wonderful to put into words. So this Advent season, let's not forget who he is. Let's not forget that he's our mighty God and our Redeemer. I encourage you to meditate on that in this Advent season. Let's pray. Father, you are uh, all-powerful. You're so powerful uh, that you have authority over death itself. You've, def you've defeated death on the cross. And yet, you are approachable, you're kind, and you're gentle, and you're patient, and you love us, even though we are the ones who crucified your son. Lord, uh, this is a mystery that is too wonderful for words, something that we'll spend our whole lives trying to grasp, that the God of the universe uh, is the same God who came into our lives and died for us and loves us and invites us to be a part of his family. Um, so this Advent season, I just ask that you'd help us uh, to see the, the magnitude of your power as displayed on the cross, but also the magnitude of your love as displayed on the cross in Christ. And we want that so that we would be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.